This morning, I'm, I'm going to be looking at a message here, Job chapter 1. Job is the first of what is considered to be the poetical books of the Bible, or certainly the Old Testament. You have Job, and you have Psalms, Proverbs, um, you have Song of Solomon, Lamentations, uh, Ecclesiastes, other poetical books because of the style of writing. There's a lot of poetical passages in the Old Testament. My Schofield Study Bible says this, it says, because these books portray the experiences of the people of God, their range is as wide as lives itself. But then it says this, this is in them, inspiration clothed in human experience with a universal quality has brought comfort, strength, and guidance to countless believers through the ages. That's what I pray that this message will do this morning for you and I. Could anybody use some comfort? Anybody use some strength? Anybody use some, some guidance? So we look at Job. We don't have the date. We don't even have the author. It says that it that is unknown. We don't have those. Um, most scholars believe that, that the book of Job is probably the first book of the Bible that was written. We know that Moses um, penned the hand of the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We, those are called the Pentateuch. We know that Moses penned those, but we also know that all of the Word of God was breathed of the Holy Spirit, that it was just men that penned these things. But the fact that neither the law nor the temple is ever mentioned in the book of Job lends us to believe probably this would have been before the days of Moses, before the days of the Mosaic law. I heard a message about three, maybe four months ago. It came up on my phone to say something you might like. It was a YouTube deal. I clicked on it to listen to it, and it was more than I just might like. I absolutely loved it. In Bible college, we were taught that if you ever hear a message that really speaks to your heart, it really does something for you or something to you, then study it, prepare it, and preach it. Here's what he said. He said, if it meant something to you, it meant something. it'll mean something to others. If it spoke to you, then it'll speak to others. Now, we were at that church leadership conference uh, a week ago, Pastor Benny Tate, and, and Pastor Benny, he talked about in that, he said there was somebody, it was a preacher, who was being ridiculed because they had heard a message online, they had preached an online message. He said, I don't get that. There, there's never been a preacher that didn't study some other preacher's work. That we're, you, you understand it's not original, it's been preached for centuries, right? And to be honest, preachers and pastors are parrots. You repeat what you hear. You hear a lot of stuff because you study behind some godly people. And he said, what's the difference between studying from some great theologians or studying some great commentary or reading a great devotion or reading a great sermon or hearing it on the internet? He said, what's the difference? He said, we sing the same songs over and over every, every week. And he said, every time we sing them, they're a blessing. Here's what he said. He said, if something's good, use it. Well, I'd already been studying this message for a few weeks, and it was one that I had heard online, so I'm not going to say there was a hesitancy about preaching it. God just hadn't given me the liberty to go forward, but I told you a couple weeks that, Lord willing, on this Sunday, I'd be preaching this message from the book of Job, which you already know it's going to be long. I've had it for too long, right? I, I don't listen to a lot of today's preachers. It's not that I have anything against them. I heard Pastor Benny Tate preach three times over there. That's the first time I've ever heard him preach. I've never, I, I hadn't heard a lot of today's preachers, a lot of big-name preachers, a lot of great preachers. I have nothing in the world against them. I just don't listen to a lot of 
modern-day type preaching. Brother Peter keeps me stocked with cassette tape, so that tells you where most of it comes from. From, from the 80s through the 90s, that's the kind of stuff I listen to, but I read books. Um, I, I read sermons. I read things from guys like Charles Spurgeon, um, A.W. Tozier, C.S. Lewis, Oswald Chambers, um, Dr. Ed Velo is where I get both that big, big, biblical mathematics when I talk about mathematics in the Bible a lot it comes from Ed Velo. But I listen to a lot of stuff that's from the mid-1800s into the mid-1900s. That's just what I enjoy reading. And that's what I enjoy studying from. Some of those older saints, there's just so much wisdom and knowledge about them. But I listened to this on YouTube. I said about three months ago, probably the first time I've heard it and I've listened to it at least a half a dozen times. As a matter of fact, um, when, when, I, when I left at Atlanta, when, when Miss Martin had, had stepped over to be with the Lord, and I left there at the hospital, and I was headed over to the Pembertons. Um, I, I wasn't able to get there. They were still at a mom, but I was headed to try to get with the Pemberton family, and it's just a tough day. A lot tougher day for Dennis and the Pembertons. I get it, but it's a tough day. And um, I thought, Lord, I just, I just need something to pick me up. And so I, I turned on this message. I put it on my phone, connected Bluetooth. I listened to it all the way through and listened to it halfway through again on the way down. Because it's very inspirational. But here's the deal. It doesn't just inspire me. I read the comment section below where you can comment on it. And this, this message has touched pretty much seems like everybody that listened to it. So... I'm telling you up front, this was, looks like it was probably preached late 1900s. Um, a Dr. John Phillips preached this message, and I'll give you a link to it later so you can go hear an amazing preacher in the original. But I'm telling you up front where it comes from. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to read for a minute. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and escheweth evil. I didn't say that. Man didn't say that. God said that. There were born unto him seven sons, three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone on his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. He sacrificed every day for his sons just in case somebody might have sinned. Verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, perfect and upright man. One that feareth God and escheweth evil. But look at verse number 9. Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hath not God made an hedge about him? Well, somebody's going to need to go back and read this and pay close attention to what's going on right here. The devil said to the Lord, Have you not put a hedge about him? And his house, and about all that he hath on every side, that thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased 
in the land. That is all the proof that you and I need to know. If God puts a hedge about you, Satan can't touch you. He can't touch your stuff. God has the ultimate say-so. If it's going on in our life, God had to have allowed it. Satan can't touch you or anything that belongs to you unless God allows it. He goes on in verse 11. The devil said to God, Put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath. Pay close attention to this statement. He will curse thee to thy face. Now the Lord makes it very clear that he's not going to do anything to Job. But what he is going to do is he's going to take down this wall of protection. He's going to remove this hedge from around him. Verse number 12, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Now you've got to pay attention. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. He says, you can't touch Job. You can't touch Job. But all these camels and asses and oxen, you, all that stuff, behold, is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. I want to bring a message this morning. If he's enough for Job, he's enough for me. God, thank you so much for this message. Thank you for Dr. Phillips. Thank you for the message that he put there that inspired this this morning. God, I pray that you would move upon your people. God, I see that this thing has already inspired thousands and maybe even tens or hundreds of thousands, God. But I pray this morning would it inspire a few hundred, God. I pray you'd move in this place. I pray you'd speak to your children, God. I pray that on this day, Lord, I pray you'd give us a new confidence, a new strength. I pray you'd break down some walls, break some chains, remove some barriers, move some mountains. God, I pray that your perfect will would be accomplished. God, I pray you'd give some people some help and some hope in here today. Now, out on live stream, God, I pray that your word would go out and carry its power, Father. And Lord, we pray most of all, may you be pleased with what takes place in here today. May your Holy Spirit move in this place, God. I ask you to ban Satan and his demons away from this campus. May you put a hedge about this place that he cannot come in, that he cannot hinder, that he cannot cause problems, God. May there be a, a freedom of the Holy Spirit to speak to your children in here right now. We love you and we thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the message, um, Dr. Phillips asked the question after reading the text. He said, will Job's experience triumph over his theology? Or will his theology triumph over his experience? So if I were to put that into my own words, here, here's what I would think to myself. Is my faith greater than my experiences? Or will my experiences exceed my level of faith? Simply put, do I trust God enough to get me through where I am? Many of us have a, a strong faith in God because of the many things that we've already been through. You've heard me say a lot of times, your faith is only as great as your greatest trial. Your faith can't be any stronger than the hardest thing you've been through. So if you want your faith to increase, the only way to increase faith is to go through something harder than you've ever been through. So, so sometimes our, we, we go through some things that, that can exceed our faith that most point, at, at some point in most of our lives, all of us will go through some, some life-changing situations that's going to force us to face the same situation that Dr. Phillips says here about Job. Will our theology, our, our faith, will our belief system rise above our situation or will we allow our situation to rise above what we believe. 
we meet Job here. The Bible talks about him, and basically he lives in a mansion in today's term. It says he has a, a great household. It tells us he has seven sons and three daughters, ten children in all. Many times we read the word of Job, and one of the things that Dr. Phillips did that just really sparked me was, was kind of brought it into today's terms. So I, I'm going to share that a little bit with you in, in the way that at least that I heard it when he put it out, the way that it spoke to me. It says that he has 7,000 sheep. Now, if I think of 7,000 sheep, I think right off a man's got to have a pretty good bit of land, right? Takes a lot of grass to feed 7,000 sheep. He's got to have some pretty good running water on it. He's got some pretty nice pieces of property. He's got a lot of sheep. But that doesn't really mean anything until you look at the purpose of a sheep. People don't just own sheep just to have them out there decorating the fields look like little white dots. They have them for wool. And wool is clothing. So basically, Job would have had one of the largest clothing lines in his day. In 2020, the world's largest clothing company, ladies, they love you to death. The world's largest clothing company in 2020 made $9.2 billion. Man, I need to be selling my old shot up, wore up, oil stained, holy blue jeans I used to have because that's kind of junk y'all paying $200 for. We'd have been ashamed to wear the stuff we had to wear in high school today. They're making top dollar, $9.2 billion, world's largest clothing company. The text says he has 3,000 camels. So I was, camels basically in, in that day, I mean, that, that, that's just an, an expense if all you have is camels. Those things have to be fed every day. So you kind of relate it to a taxi cab because in that day, camels were transportation, right? That's what people rode. That's how they crossed the desert, how they got from one to another. So feeding camels really wouldn't be any different than putting gas in a taxi cab. So basically, he had 3,000 taxi cabs. In today's market, a taxi cab averages $450,000 a year per taxi. 3,000 taxis is a pretty good money. Matter of fact, if you get your smartphone out and you try to do that $450,000 times the 3,000 camels, your smartphone ain't smart enough to give you an answer. If you got a droid, it might be, but these old iPhones won't. This Pro Max, whatever, you shake your hand, man. These things are junk. You get your joy. They may give you an answer. I don't know. But the iPhone one, it says it's an error. It didn't even have room to tell me that that's worth $1,350,000,000 a year. Uber's considered the new up-and-coming transportation, right? Uber's what most of them use. Uber is said to be worth $70 billion. Glory to God, I'm in the wrong business. Well, I'm in the right business. He has 500 oxen. Oxen are work animals. You normally use them in pairs for cutting timber. They drag trees. They drag plows and make farms. So if we just look at it from a perspective, say he had 250 tractors, today's highest paid farmer is worth $22 billion. He has 500 she-asses. I don't know. Asses are considered beasts of burden. They carry loads. They, they're a bearer of weight and carry things. So let's just relate it to some trucking companies and say that he had 500 that he moved around. As of July 16th, 2021, the world's largest trucking company is worth $47.7 billion. You put all that stuff together, it's more than $150 billion annual income. Pretty impressive in my book. What do you think? That's the kind of things that Job has. So if we look at Job in today's terminology, he doesn't just have a big house, a bunch of land, a bunch of animals to feed. He's a businessman. He's got all kinds of stuff. He's running all kinds of things. And in the day of Job, you have to know that, that physical prosperity in people's mind was a reflection of spiritual integrity. 
If you had a lot of stuff, people viewed you as walking closely with God. If you lost stuff, it was God getting on to you. It was, it was something. So the more you had, then the closer you walked with God. That's the way that, that they looked at things. Now, the Bible says that every day he went out and he sacrificed for his children just in case they might have done something wrong against God. How many of you pray for your children every day? God be with them today. Keep a hedge of protection about them today. Go before them today. When, that, when they're in the kind of business like my son's in, you can't help but pray for them because you pray for yourself your whole life. And you know that you're one mistake away. You don't get second mistakes in that kind of work. You pray for them every single day. That's what Job does every single day. He, he's sacrificing for his children. He's asking God to go before his children, to be with his children. And this isn't the Mosaic law. He's not following the law. As far as we know, Moses isn't even born yet. The Mosaic law hasn't been written yet. This is just by faith, Job making sacrifices to the Lord. So the first time we meet him, he's basically a trillionaire. The devil says to God, that's the only reason he serves you. The only reason Job follows you is because you won't let me get to him. You won't let me touch nothing that he has. You've blessed him exceedingly, and the only reason he's praising you is because you give him all this stuff. But if you just let me touch him, take his stuff away, he will curse you to your face. It's important to remember that he says that. Verse number 4, his sons went and feasted in their houses. It says, everyone his day... Sent and called for the three sisters to eat and to drink with them. I don't want to get bogged down right there. But there is a reason. If you want to do a word study, there's a reason that it said that and it told that in every one of his day. There's multiple commentaries on the statement. There's a lot of different things. Some say that they got together every day and they rotated houses. Some say that on his day meant that it had been on his birthday. On his day, that was the birthday. And whatever, whoever's birthday it was, they all got together at that person's house. But here's what we do know. That, that on this day, all ten of his children are together at the eldest brother's house. Job has finished his sacrifices. He sacrificed for his children. In our terms, he, he's already got up and done his morning devotion. He's already done his, his daily Bible reading. He spent his daily prayer time. He's, he's done all of his things, and now he's headed off to work, and he's gotten to the office ready to begin the day. So that's how we relate it. We've already done all of our morning study. We've prepared ourselves spiritually to go into the day's world and to go out and to do the battle. We've gotten to the office. There's a knock at the door. It says that there came a messenger, verse number 14, under Job, and said the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. The Sabians fell upon them and took them away, yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. At one time, Job lost all of his farms, all of his farms, and, and all of his trucking company. At one time, just like that, it, it's all gone. And all the employees are gone. And before he can even process it, he's still talking. There, there, there's another knock at the door. So, so somebody says, Job, I, I really need to talk to you. And he, and he opens the door, and it's the manager of his clothing company. He says, there's been a huge fire down at the plant. It's a total loss. Everything's gone. Worst of all, all of the employees are dead, and I'm the only one left. Job says, how did it start? He said, it was the fire of God fall from heaven. Theologians say it was lightning, something to that effect that, that started a, a, a fire. As the manager is talking, he's trying to explain what little bit he knows about the fire and all of it's gone. And, and there's another knock at the door, and Job's like, what is it? I don't, I don't have time. And, and it's the, the manager of his taxi cab company. I could imagine Job, if I'm asking, I'd be like, whatever you have to say, it's going to have to wait. You, you can't imagine what I'm dealing with in here. You can't imagine how much money I've lost. You can't imagine how many 
servants are dead. You, you have no idea. If this isn't of utmost importance, I'm going to have to talk to you later. And he says, whatever you're dealing with can't be as bad as what I'm about to tell you. It's all gone. All, all, the, all the taxis are gone. All, all, of, all of the taxi drivers, they're, they're all dead. It says the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped to tell thee. Job has to be thinking, ain't no way my day can get any worse. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you just, just, just try to think. We can't even begin to relate to what he's dealing with right here. He woke up nearly a trillionaire this morning, and he's almost bankrupt. It's not even lunch. At about that time, there was a knock at the door, and the worst news of Job's day walks into the room. Job, I'm, I'm sorry, brother. I don't even know how to tell you this. I'm sorry I won't have to bring you this, but, but your children, all 10 of your children, you know they were at your, your eldest son's house. So there was a storm out there. There was a whirlwind. There was a tornado that it, it, it hit the house. And sorry, brother, but none of your children made it. They're all dead. Can you begin to imagine? I mean, my little simple, finite mind can't even begin to process what Job would have to be going through. Anybody know where I'm at? Don't, don't let me lose. I need you to stay with me for a minute. Can you even begin to imagine the devastation? You're not just financially bankrupt when you're a trillionaire, but, but all ten of your children just got the news that, that they're all dead. But as much as I can't understand any of what he's going through right there, I really can't understand the next couple of verses. Verse number 20, Job arose rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. On the worst day of his life, at the worst minute of his life, in the worst time of his life, the Bible says that he fell down and worshipped. His naked came out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Look at the next statement. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Round one. God said, if you consider Job, he's just and upright. devil said, you let me touch his stuff. He'll curse you to your face. Job won a great victory against Satan. Chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence cometh thou? Satan answered the Lord, said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? But look at the next statement. And still, remember what you said, devil? Remember what you said? If I let you touch him, he would curse me to my face. You took everything he had. You killed his children. You took all of his money. And still, he holdeth fast his integrity. Integrity, important word. Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without a cause, Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. All that a man hath will he give for his life. Put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. Again, he says, he will curse thee to thy face. Verse 6, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he's in thine hand. 
but save his life. Now he says, you can touch his body. You can touch him, but you can't kill him. Kind of amazing to me that the devil took everything else, but he left his wife, right? Stay with me a minute. It's okay. It's okay. He took all of his children. He took all of them, but, but he left his wife. And, and so the, the Lord says, Behold, he's in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth in the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown and took on him a potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Job has lost everything except his wife. And now here he sits in this excruciating pain, endless pain. There ain't no Advil. There ain't no, what's some of them pain pills? Darvacet? Something? Ain't none of that stuff. If y'all holler it out, y'all know I'm going to know something, right? <laughs> there ain't none of that stuff. So here he sits in this excruciating pain. I've preached on this before. If the devil cannot get to you, the devil will keep coming after you. He'll keep trying. But if the devil cannot get to you, if he cannot break your faith, if he cannot get you to stumble, the devil will use the ones closest to you that is the weakest link around you to try to get inside your circle to cause you to fall. If he can't get to you, he'll try to get to your spouse. He'll try to get in through your children. Whatever he can do to get in to destroy your family, to destroy your faith, and to destroy your testimony. The devil will use the weakest link around you know God said has thou considered my servant Job he didn't say nothing about his wife he said Job's perfect and upright and here's what I believe I believe Job's wife's a good woman I do she's with Job she sees the sacrifice I believe she's a godly woman but obviously there's a, a weaker link here remember who the devil used to get to Adam right the text says that the devil spoke to God, and twice he says he will curse you to your face. Remember what God said after Satan lost round one? He still holds his integrity, and the devil said, let me touch him, and he'll curse you to your face a second time. There are two people in the universe that know about this conversation. One is God, the other is the devil. His wife said to him, Dost thou still retain thine what? Integrity. Curse God and die. Sounds like a serpent speaking to me. Sounds like the one closest to you getting inside the circle to me. He'll do the same thing to you and I. He'll use anything around you he can. If he's tried to knock you off and he hasn't made it, he will come bring your closest friends, your closest family, any way he can to get inside. Verse number 10, he said to her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil in all this? Did not Job sin with his lips? Job defeated the devil right here in this book with such a, a, a great victory that for the, all the remainder of the Old Testament, you'll not hear the devil speak again. Job has won two incredible victories, but his story is not over. We still got some more folks to deal with. Verse number 11, Job's three friends heard all the evil that's come upon him, and they came, everyone from his own place, Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the, the Namathite. 
Then they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. Yeah, right. When they lifted their eyes afar off and knew him not, they saw him. He was in such bad shape they didn't even recognize him. They didn't even know it's him. Here he is with sores all over him and in his pain and, and clothes all dirty. So they lifted up their voice and wept. They rent everyone as mantles, sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, after seven days of silence, Job begins to speak in dissatisfaction of his situation. Chapter 3, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. Job spake and said, Let the day perish when I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above. Neither let the light shine upon it. And for the next 20 verses, Job wishes that he had never been born. But as I was studying the passage after, after three months, really, of looking at this, I saw something this week Dr. Phillips didn't mention. I was reading back over studying. I saw something that I had not seen up until then. I just want to point out because it may help somebody. Verse number 25, Job said, The thing which I greatly feared. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. God said this is the greatest man in the East. This is the perfect and upright man that is true, if not evil. Job said, the thing that I greatly feared is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. The wealthiest man in all of the East, when it comes to the world's point of view, the man who has it all, but also the man who God himself says is just and upright, he lived with fears in his life. Hello? Anybody know what I'm talking about? The thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. He's been dreading it before it ever even happened. And, and that which I was afraid of has come to me. Verse number 26, he said, I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet. Yet trouble came. Here's what he says. I wasn't being lazy. I wasn't being slothful. I wasn't being idle. I wasn't being quiet. I was serving God with everything I had. I was working for God with everything in my life. And I wasn't being quiet. I was giving him all of my praise. Still, trouble came my way. His friends spoke up. Remember what we just looked at. Your spirituality was considered based upon what you had financial in your possession. So Eliphaz spoke up and he suggests that, that Job had to have sinned. He says, remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Verse number 17, he said to Job, behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Job says, really? You've been quiet for seven days and seven nights. You should keep your mouth shut. And Job answers what he has to say. But then Bildad comes along after Job answers it. And, and he doesn't just suggest. He assumes that Job had to have sinned because all this great calamity has come about him. He says in verse number 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse number 2, How long wilt thou speak these things? How long shall the words of thy mouth be like strong wind? Doth God pervert judgment? Or doth the Almighty pervert justice? 
If thy children have sinned against him, and he have cast them away for their transgression, if thou wouldest seek unto God betimes and make thy supplication to the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would await for thee, and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. And though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. Job speaks up again. He says, boy, you're a fine howdy-doody. You ain't no better than a life as was. So he defends himself. But, but then the worst one of all, Zophar, speaks up. And Zophar just outright accuses him of sin. Chapter 11, verse 2, he says, Should not the multitude of words be answered? Should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies make men hold their peace? When thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? Thou hast said, My doctrine is pure, and I'm clean in thine eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee. Job answers all of these men, but by now Job has heard enough of their accusations, and Job's getting mad. Chapter 13, Job said, Lo, mine eye hath seen all this, mine ear hath heard and understand it. What ye know, the same do I know also. I'm not inferior to you. Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. But ye are forgers of lies. You're all physicians of no value. All that you would all together hold your peace, and it should be your wisdom. John Phillips, in his message, he said what Job said right here is if you men would shut your mouth, somebody might make a mistake and actually think you're wise. Chapter 16, Job answered and said, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are y'all. <laughs> yeah. Shall vain words have an end? What emboldeth thee that thou answerest? I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you. So notice in trial number one, the devil is defeated hands down. In all this, Job sin not. Trial number two, devil is defeated hands down, boils on his body. Wife says, lose your integrity, curse God and die. But then his closest friends come along. And it's his closest friends that pull him down. So in chapter 30, Job, he's got pretty angry. He, he brings his dissatisfaction to his friends. But he brings his dissatisfaction to God. Chapter 30, verse 21, he says, Thou art become cruel to me. With thy strong hand, thou opposest thyself against me. But then we get to chapter 32. And we find that there's a, a fourth friend present. It says that these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, the kindred of Ram. Against, Joseph was his um, against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited until Job had spoken because they were elder than he. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men... Then his wrath was kindled. Elihu, the son of Barakel, the buzzite, answered and said, I am young and you are very old. I'm sure that was encouraging. You are very old. Wherefore I was afraid and durst not show you mine what? Opinion. I said days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in a man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore, I said, hearken unto me, I also will show mine opinion. 
Chapter 33, verse 3, he said, My words shall be of the uprightness of my heart. My lips shall utter knowledge clearly. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. If thou canst answer me, set thy words in order before me. Stand up, behold, I am coming to thy wish in God's stead. I am also formed out of the clay. He said, I've come in God's stead. I've listened to the four of you talk, but now I've come here, and, and I'm going to bring the wisdom into this place. Dr. Phillips said, it seems like everybody in this story is wrong. Job is wrong. His wife is wrong. Eliphaz is wrong. Bildad is wrong. Zophar is wrong. And now Elihu speaks up, and he's wrong. He says, everyone is wrong. Anybody still awake? Oh, this, this is important. Everyone is wrong because no one has all of the facts. Everyone is wrong about what they see going on and what they say and all their judgment. Everyone is wrong because all they have is what they see and what they think they know. No one has all of the facts. The book of Job here deals with the providential hand of God in the face of the forever long issue of suffering. Many times... We ourselves, we simply don't understand why do bad things happen to good people? Why would God allow that? Wednesday nights, we've been studying through the book of Acts. This past Wednesday, we were at the point where Stephen was stoned to death by the Sanhedrin council. The Bible, speaking of Stephen, says that he is a just man. The, the, Bible, the Bible says that he is full of the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Spirit. He is a man of honest report he's the first of the seven deacons of the church but yet God allowed him to be stoned by the Sanhedrin council for simply preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ I'm sure it was a blow to the church to lose such an incredible man who had such prominence within the church and did so much but here's what we looked at in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 the last thing that Jesus said to the entire crowd of people that was present at the ascension, he said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus said, you will preach the gospel to all places, to the uttermost part of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, that is Pentecost. That is the 50th day after the Passover, the day when the Holy Spirit came. That is the birthday of the church. Peter preached, and the Bible tells that 3,000 souls were added to the church in Jerusalem. Acts 2, 47, the Lord added to the church daily in Jerusalem. When you get to Acts chapter 6, verse 47, it says that the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied. So God has gone from addition in the church to multiplication in the church. But the text says the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. But after the martyr of Stephen, great persecution came to the church. And because of the martyr of Stephen and because of the persecution, Christians spread out far and wide. And when the Christians spread out, the gospel began to preach. The church at Jerusalem couldn't really see anything 
past their borders. They're doing a good job of reaching people in Jerusalem. But God said that my word will be spread throughout all Judea and Samaria in the uttermost parts of the earth. The persecution of the church accomplished God's plan. And here's what I said on Wednesday night. Just because we can't sometimes see it doesn't mean that God isn't doing something great in what seems in our eyes to be a disaster. So what we see here in our text this morning is that we're not the only ones that don't know the answer. Job doesn't know the answer. His, his friends who accused him, they don't know the answer. Chapter 38, God speaks to Job. He says, I've been listening to you talk. He said, you seem to have all the answers. Verse 38, chapter 1, the Lord answered to Job out of the whirlwind and said, mm-mm. Who is this that darketh counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up thy loins like a man, for I will defend, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or, or who, searched the, who stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it issued out of the womb, when I made the cloud a garment thereof and thick darkness a swaddling band forward and break it from my decreed place and set bars and doors and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further. Here shall thy prayed ways be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know his place? that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it. God asked Job a lot of questions, which Job has no answer for. Chapter 40, verse 3, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. The Lord answered to Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God? Canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck not thyself with majesty and excellency. Array thyself with glory and beauty. For four chapters, God speaks to Job. Chapter 42, verse 6, Job says, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. God also spoke to Job's friends. He said, I didn't tell you to say any of that. I didn't, I didn't tell you to condemn him. What do you think you're doing? I, I didn't tell you to go sit him down and, and, and scold him. So my, my anger is kindled against you. That's what he said to his friends. He said, you guys, you go sacrifice for yourself. You need to be worried about you, not Job. Verse number 10 of chapter 42. The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. When Job prayed for the ones who accused him, when Job prayed for the ones who tore him down, brought false accusations and lies against him, 
when Job prayed for the ones who drove him past his breaking point. Remember, Job still maintained his uprightness. Job still maintained his integrity through trial one, through trial two. Job still upheld his integrity through his wife's foolish statement still upheld his integrity. But yet these men came, and they brought him to a breaking point. And now Job says, God, bless my friends. Job begins to pray for them. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You got that, that ready? I'm, I, I butcher this about as much as I can. I want to let you listen to the end of Dr. John Phillips. Listen to his close on the message. I'm terribly sorry, but they are my friends, and I ask you to bless them. And all of a sudden, Job was out of prison. Nothing had changed. There were still ten tombstones just outside the window. His body still hurt from head to foot. He was still broke and bankrupt. His wife was still unhappy. Job was out of prison and he was again able to rejoice in the Lord and in, to sing and praise God and give thanks in spite of everything. He was released. Last of all, he was rewarded. The Bible tells us that God gave Job double and God is a careful bookkeeper. He keeps books with great precision. In chapter 1, Job had 7,000 sheep. In chapter 42, he had 14,000 sheep. In chapter 1, he had 3,000 camels. In chapter 42, he had 6,000 camels. In chapter 1, he had 500 yoke of oxen. And in, in, in chapter 42, he had 1,000 yoke of oxen. In chapter 1, he had 7 sons and 3 daughters. And in chapter 42, he had Oh dear, there's a mistake. Seven sons and three daughters. Oh dear, liberals are right. There's a mistake in the Bible. Dear, oh dear, God can't count. Oh, God's made a mistake. Throw your Bible away. Oh dear me, no. No, no, no. No, there's no mistake. You see, he'd lost his sheep, and he'd lost his camels, and he'd lost his oxen. They were gone. So God gave him double. But he hadn't lost his sons and daughters. He knew where they were. And if you know where something is, it's not lost, is it? And so God gave him the same number of sons and daughters. And by and by, Job died and went to heaven. And, and in the process of time, the last member of his second family died and went to heaven. And Job stood up in the presence of the angels of God and counted 14 sons and six daughters. How good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend whose love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. Blessed be God.
We don't have to understand it. We just have to trust that he knows best. We don't have to comprehend it. We just have to know that God holds it. If God was enough for Job, he's enough for me. If God can bring a man through that, can bring him out on the other side with a great testimony, if he's enough for them, he's enough for me. I guess the band's coming on up. We, we may or may not understand what we go through in life. But we don't have all the facts. Kind of like those men, we, we have what we see. We have what we assume. But we don't have all the facts. We don't know what hardcore lost soul on their way to hell might get reached through the hard trial that somebody here went through. We, we don't know what our suffering or our sickness and being able to come through it in the joy of the Lord may cause for somebody else that will come along later and wouldn't have that joy if God wasn't able to use it. I'm just saying we don't have to understand it. We just have to trust him. I, I don't have anything to do with the music. Greg will tell you that. I don't pick songs. and I don't know what they're going to sing until they send stuff out. And I don't really look at them most of the time. And they don't know what I'm going to preach, but it never ceases to amaze me how God always puts a, a song in place. You guys doing heaven help me? You just got to know. Go ahead and sing that song, guys. I, I'm going to, listen, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to leave it with you. Matter of fact, you might want to stand and listen to this song. Let's really talk about heaven help me. I, I know there's some people who need some help. I know some people hurt and some people broken and you either have been, you are, or you will be. We're in one of those three places always in life. I'm going to ask if you would stand. You want to sing the song with them, be great if you know the song. If you want to just worship, worship. He's worthy of our praise. If you need to pray, the altar's open. You can pray where you're at. Bring whatever petitions you have. Talk to the Lord about them.